0: First things first, Lee, I want to say thanks for the time, I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no problem mate, I'm glad to be on with you Paul. to be honest.
0: I want to ask you about your childhood to begin, talk to me about growing up, what kind of a young person were you?
1: Uh, just a normal young lad really, you know, uh, grew up in Wigan, um, on a council estate, just loving football, loving it. well it were not just football, it was rugby, swimming, any sports really, as long as I was doing something active. Um I was happy, you know what I mean? Christmas, I didn't want a computer or anything like that. I just wanted a pair of football boots or a pair of shin pads or the latest United kit or whatever. So I was, a, I was an active child who, who was just happy being busy, really.
0: For our readers who are unfamiliar with your story, maybe for our younger United fans, you started out by signing for Wigan, about six years old, if I'm correct in saying that. Um, tell me about your move, to United, how did it come about? At what point did you become aware of their interest in you?
1: Uh, it was a strange one, really. I, I played football for as long as I can remember. I probably played from the age of four, you know, in the local leagues, the Wigan League and the Warrington League, um, and started off as a striker, um, banging goals in for fun. Um, and then, like I say, we, we was, I was at a club called Wigan Junior Latics, which was like a feeder club for the Wigan School of Excellence at that time. And like I I'm going back to probably early 90s now. Um, so I was doing well in the local leagues. Um, and that's when we got, obviously, at six-year-old, we got asked to go and uh, have a little look at the Centre of Excellence, which the memories I've got of it, and they are very vague. because, like I say, I was, was only a kid at the time. But it was really enjoyable. We got to go and watch um, the matches most weekends. We got tickets to go and watch the matches. And my earliest memories, really, watching any first-team games, the old Springfield Park with Wigan, uh, really enjoyable. Still remember the old couple at the back, which used to slate the team, Every game, um, gone visceral. <laughs> but like I say that was probably my, my earliest memory of watching any competitive football really live. Um, and then I just remember doing well in the centre of excellence and still playing locally, um, scoring more and more goals. And then all of a sudden, I was getting invitations from the likes of Everton's and Liverpool's, Man um, United's, Blackburns at the time, Cities. You know, the 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 big local Northwest teams. All invited me to go down, but as, as a youngster, my team was always Man United. And if they ever come calling, that's um, that would be the team where I, I'd want to be. Um, so yeah, I remember my dad saying that you've, you've been invited to go down for a week's worth of um, trials up at uh, Littleton Road uh, in Salford. Um, again, I think there was there was uh, there's loads of kids. What I remember there. Um, you know, all, all with the same goal of trying to get a contract, a year's contract with, uh, at such a young age. And like I said, the, the only memory really I've got of it is we're supposed to have done a week's trial there. I did a day and uh, I signed a year after the first day. They told me I didn't need to come back and they gave me a year's contract.
0: That must have been a bit surreal. Uh,
1: at the time, I, I don't know why like you say when you're, when you're nine years old. I don't think you realise the magnitude of it. You know, it's, it, I mean, yeah. it's your team, it's the team you support supporting. You've got all the shirts, the the home, the way, the third kits, you know, and it, you, you're looking up in your heroes, the likes of your Dennis Irwin and your Kinchelskis and people like that. And, you know, all of a sudden you're you're training at Littleton Road and the Cliffs and just enjoying your football. And all of a sudden, Eric Cantona walks past you, for example, when you're a kid and you think, what the hell's going on here? And there's some of the vague memories, what you do have as a, as a child growing up there. Is, you know, the guys that you watched on telly, who everyone used to talk about in the schoolyard, you're now trading on the pitch at the side of them, you know, and it, it it was a lovely, a lovely thing to do at that time.
0: I suppose for fans like myself and for the readers, many of them have asked this question. We don't really know what it involves, I suppose, going on trial, getting offered a contract, progressing up to the club through the years. What's the process like? Is it tough all the way? Or is it a gradual thing?
1: Um, it gets tough as you go along. Um, my, my, my memories of it... Uh... Um, and I'll always remember my first two coaches. What I had, um, the name was Mark Edwards and Tommy O'Neill uh, at under nines, and they was it was just great lads. You know what I mean? Great guys. Um, made they made it fun. You know, it, there was never much pressure on you. It was all about fun and you know being part of the team um, and teaching you not just not just skills through football either, really, but probably teaching you life skills. What you don't realize at the time that they're doing. So. Like I say, we, we, we had that for a couple of years and then you get introduced to the likes of Tony Whelan, uh, Paul McGuinness, you know, people like that. Who, 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 you know, you, you start naturally progressing through to the, you know, the 13s, 14s, 15s, 16s, going to the Milk Cup and, you know, getting into competitive tournaments, the Blue Star tournament. Um, and yeah, the, the pressure just start getting a little bit more as you get a little bit older, but then you start realising what it's all about. You know, you at the time, you're at the biggest club in the world. Um with the best players in the world, and you're trying to you're trying to get into that first team, or trying to get as close as you can to your dream. So the pressure does come on, but the, the memories I have of the coaches, they was they was they were brilliant. You know what I mean? And like I say, when you look back on it, now, they weren't just they weren't just teaching you uh, a set of skills to be a good footballer, but they, they actually taught you a set of skills to become a, a decent human being. And that's probably one of the one of the best things I've picked up off the coaches I've had they become like a, a second father, a further figure to you. And I'm sure many of the lads who grew up at Man United, as long as I did, will all tell you the same.
0: I've spoken to a number of players who have come through academy and they've said similar, that they teach you skills that are also transferable to life, not just on the field. I'm wondering, I'm wondering from your perspective, could you tell us some things that you learned at United that have actually stood you and good stead in life in general?
1: Yeah, the, the major one really is from a, from a young, young age at United, you start to learn about um, United's culture and, you know, the background of Man United and what the badge means. And that automatically then gets you respect and you start respecting the club and the people who've done things for the club and where the club were at. Um, and I think that was very transferable because once you once you got that at an early age and you learned what respect was, you then can take that into life and you, you respect the people around you, um, you know, you're never bigger or better than anything else. There's always someone who's been there and done it better than you. Um, and that's probably one of the major things I've learned in life with, with with what I got taught was the whole aspects of of respect and actually becoming a, a decent person um, and having manners and, you know, just that, that's that's what we got taught. That's what we got drummed into us. And I think that, that although they did it through a, a footballing point of view about going through it, being Man United and what respect we should have for the badge and the club, I think there was that there was a life lesson in there where, where it was transferable to everyday life.
0: brilliant. Something I'm really interested in. I'm studying psychology. I'm trained to be a sports psychologist. I know a lot of modern teams, especially in Germany, from like the age of 10, they're introducing the idea of psychology and mental training. I'm wondering at that time in the academy, was there any of that going on?
1: No, to be to be bluntly honest, no. There was there was nothing on the psychology side of things or the the, man, the mental aspect of the sport at that time. Um, I suppose even when I, I got released um, and I was twenty one at the time, there weren't much about it then. To be honest with you, <clears throat> um, just a bit of, a bit of a story about myself. Like I said, I played football all my life. Um, I got released at at twenty one. Um, won the FA Youth Cup. Went on loan at Shrewsbury, come back and got my European first team squad number, got the shirts and, you know, on the back of the programmes and things like that. And everything was, you know, looking great. You think you're going to achieve your goal. Uh, but then obviously nature has a different way of putting it. And, you know, you, first of all, I started with a bad injury. Uh, I got back from that and then I got a really bad bout of months where I lost probably two and a half stone and I was never the biggest lad anyway. You know, I was only always teaching around nine and a half, ten stone, but... I was really purely with mumps at the time, um, and I had to have quite a bit of time off with that. Uh, got myself back with that. Got myself, built, you know, built my up, back playing regularly reserves, um, and then the injury come back again, um, and ultimately led to me being released at United at 21. And uh, I, I can't call United for that because my professional contract signed a YTS at 16 uh, and a three-year professional, 17, 18, 19. Uh, when he was up at 20 and to be fair I'd not played much much football reserve football after the injury and they could have released me there and then which I thought they was going to do if I'm being totally honest with you but for play to Sir Alex he gave me another another year to try and get back fit which he didn't need to do you know what I mean Um but it was just one of them things at the time and you know it, it happened and I, at, at that age you think you're going to get bounced back uh, you'll go to another club which I did I went to a umpteen other clubs. Uh, every time I was making a breakthrough, my knee went again. Um, and then, obviously, when you're young, 21-year-old, you just think, that's all right, I'll call it a day. My dad was a plumber. Uh, I'll go plumbing with my dad, I'll be fine, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then, after a while, a little while, the anxiety and the depression kicked in, which I didn't realise didn't what was going on. Uh, never really went out drinking or, or doing anything with my friends because of the football. And then, obviously, when you when you stop playing, You've got that freedom of you know going out and doing what you want. And so we started doing a bit of that. But I had to go through the doctors because I didn't feel right well. Um and that's when the they give us the diagnosis of the it wasn't so much depression, it was the anxiety. And they just put that and link that all back to to you know what had happened through through my life in football. So yeah, there wasn't there wasn't much much support at the time. Thankfully, I believe there is a lot more support now. Um but I think then days we didn't really talk about that kind of thing anyway. You know what I mean? It was just don't be soft, get on with it. You know, it is what it is. Um, thankfully now that then things are changing.
0: If I can ask, uh psychologically, when you when you kept getting the injuries, that must have been that must have wrecked your head, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it was uh it was heartbreaking for, for myself, like I say, because We'd, we, I've never really been injured. If I'm being honest, all the way through, I, I was, I was always okay. I was always fit. I was, I can't even remember getting up to like 17, 18 where I was ever on the bench. I always started. I was always a first team starter. I was captain through most of the age groups. Um, I captained England on occasions. Um, you know, I was a first team regular for England 17s of England and. I was, I was doing okay injury-wise. and never thought I'd get injured. And then, like I say, it, it couldn't really happened at a worse time because just as you get to the point where you feel like you're going to start progressing, you know, you go on loan. At my time, when you went on loan, a lot of the time that was to, to ready you for starting the first team or, you know, a, a League Cup match or, you know. So everything was looking great. And then, obviously, to, to get the injury and then, you know, you'd be in a boot for 18 weeks and then you'd recover and you'd think you're fine. And, you, you know, you'll get back to it. And then, you know, six or seven weeks down the line, it'll go again. Um, and then you get told that you're going to be on the bench for Arsenal. Um, there was rumours flying about off a couple of the coaches that I was going to be... Well, I trained with the first team for a little while. Um, well, on and off for six months, really. And then there was talks about me, you know, playing, a, I think it was a League Cup game against Arsenal. Um, and then I think it was the week before I did money again. And I was out for another 18 weeks. So psychologically, it's a killer. It uh, it it's hard, you know, when you know you 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 just you just reaching that level where you need to get to, um, and then injury starts again, and it's just it is it's hard to take, mate. I mean, you you've got to take it because at the end of the day, you're still there, you're still at the club, and you're still trying everything you can do to get back. You know what I mean? So um, it was it was a bit of a killer at the time, to be honest.
0: For an elite athlete, what would you say is the most challenging part?
1: I think it's the younger to, to to achieve what you've been trying to achieve all your life. I mean, an example of it, I would suppose, was, like, say, with with who I grew up with from being nine years old. We had the likes of Phil Bardsley, um, Ben Collett, I don't, David Jones, David Poole. Um, and you're watching them lads, who, you know, you've been with from under nines to the reserves and, you know, they're getting getting into like Phil was getting chances in the first team, and you like to keep him Richardson, who's been there a while with you. He was doing well and playing well, and you know, and you're watching them get the chance, and you think to yourself, if if I wasn't, you know, if I weren't injured, surely to God, I'd be in the mix with with having a chance. So it, it's it's kind of it's kind of watching the others get the chance. What? You probably feel like you should be having that chance too. And if it was not on your ability, you could you could probably take it if it was your ability more than you can take it with an injury. You know what I mean? If you thought, well, they're miles ahead of it with the football inability, then that's fair enough. There's nothing you can do about that. But when it's when it comes down to injury, it's a, it's another thing. And I think that's the biggest killer, to be honest.
0: You mentioned the youth team, which was a team which had great character, a really talented group, Eagles, you mentioned Richardson, Jared P.K. Paul Shane. What did put that strength of character down to at the time, Lee? Was it just the natural ability of the team? Was it the coaching?
1: Yeah, well, the ability, the ability, when you look at the lads in and around the FA Youth Cup, uh, the win, the, 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 the squad we had, not just my age, but, um, you know, the year younger with a lad like Chris Eagles who stepped up, the ability was great, you know. They had, they had fantastic ability, but I, w- I would probably say more the coaching. Um, we was a team you know what I mean, and, and from, from under nines all the way to the first team, it was that we actually got taught how to be a team, and if you know if things weren't going well for yourself, there's still another 10 lads on that field, what you've got to look after, um, and you'd run, and you'd chase, and you'd, you know, if you weren't you weren't having a good game, you'd do whatever you could to help your partner out, so Ben Collett was the left winger at the time, as I was a left back, we struck up a nice partnership, uh, then you had, you, you know, you sent to that and PK, and of America Howard or Paul McShane, you know, and they worked for each other. Everyone knew the job. Everyone knew that, you know, if things weren't going right, we encouraged. And that's just the way we got brought up.
0: You mentioned Jared Piquet there. What was he like as a teammate? Was it obvious even then that he was going to make a big...
1: To be honest, mate, no. Uh, I've been asked this question loads and loads of times, and I've, I've, I've got to be completely honest with you. When they first brought him in, I didn't know what all the fuss was about. <laughs> I mean, we had we had great centre backs. Um, there was a lad called Mark Howard, who was a year younger than me, who uh, used to play up, and he was, you know, he was an absolute phenomenal centre back. We had Chris Taylor at the time from um, Birmingham. he's called him Drummer. Uh, again, absolute phenomenal player. Man United. I uh, mean, England captain. a year above myself um and when jerry pk come over i just thought you know it's 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 just as good or not as good as what we had obviously it turned out that the Mm. the guys he brought him over knew a lot more than we did at the time you know what i mean they see things that we don't they see what what the progression probably like when they develop um physically and things like that but um amazing amazing career and amazing life and he's a genuinely genuinely nice lad he was a nice lad when, when we was younger and he seems to be a really nice man now. And again, that's probably down to growing up in a, <clears throat> in a club who had Sir Alex Ferguson as, as, as the main guy. In the, you know
0: To flip that, is there anyone you thought at the time who would go on to have a really good career but didn't quite reach the heights you thought he would?
1: I've just mentioned Chris Taylor. Um, I don't know if many, many United fans would have heard of Chris or not. Uh, I actually spoke to Chris couple of months ago. Um I got invited back to a ex-professionals dinner um at Man United. And they asked me, do I know any, pardon me, any ex-professionals who, who, you know, at my age, who'd be, you know, he would want to join the group. And I was speaking to Chris. Chris was phenomenal. I when I mean phenomenal, he's probably the, the best centre back I've seen um at youth level ever. Him and Glenn Johnson were the centre backs for England when I was there and there was just, there was of like this world, you know, and he's probably, I mean, he did once have a good career, I think he went to Walsall, and a couple of, a couple of clubs, and then went and faded down the lower leagues, but he's one guy who I would have thought, you know, would have, would have made it right high up in the Premier League, and unfortunately, things didn't work out for him, but, you know, that's happened to, I could mention hundreds of guys who, you know, who could have, could have gone on them and made millions out of the game and been real high profile players, and unfortunately, and I'm sure any professional will tell you this, a lot of the the good lads just fall by the wayside.
0: Who was the biggest character in the dressing room at the time? Who was the biggest joker
1: in the first team? Would you say, or in the the the, the youth team?
0: In the youth team that you were in.
1: In the youth team, Phil Bird was always a joker. If I'll be honest with you, Phil was Phil had a good sense of humour. Um, there was a few, Lee Sims I don't know if you've heard of Lee Sims, Lee Sims was a right back a regular right back for England too um, he was a good character Chris Eagles was a good character we used to give him sticks because obviously when he joined up he was a he was a London lad he was a southern lad and we used to give each other stick and banter and things like that um, but he, again he was, a, he was a great character and I used to live with a guy called Bojan Joric he was a couple of years older than me Bojan so when I was in digs I used to live with Bojan and Mads Tim um that was definitely a colourful, a colourful a dig to, to grow up in there. They both had a let's just say a, an alternative sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I can't forget Ben Ben Mjord, uh, he's another guy who I live with. What a to Ben was, you know, he, he went on to play for Bradford City and another few few uh, lower league teams, but it was a, it was great fun in the dressing room. Some of the things I can't tell you what happened live, but <laughs>
0: great times but it sounds as i can definitely i get the impre- i get the impression from you talk about it now you still love to reminisce about those days that's oh, the impression definitely.
1: i guess yeah definitely hey, i mean like i say it's uh, it's been a long time i'm 37 i finished at 21 I'm still keeping contact with some of the lads you know via social media and things like that and it was people say you must you must be gutted and things like that but nah not really i you know I was gutted i never made a football I don't get me wrong because what I intended to set out in life and do I didn't quite achieve but the memories you've got and you know the the, how many kids can say from 9 till 21 they grew up at Man United you know what I mean and the the memories you owe for life so yeah disappointed I didn't make it but you know what what a thing to achieve so I I look back at it fondly.
0: You said you can't tell me most of the stories I'm wondering is there any story you can tell me anything that's really funny that our our readers might enjoy from a night night out or a nighting or in the dressing room or anything?
1: That's how I think. So, somewhat weren't as bad as on this. Um, so we had I did one about myself, and I'm not going into too much detail about it. Um, I don't want to land any idea of the land lads in it, so i just go about myself. Um, <clears throat> we was on a tournament up at um, in Germany, and Brian McClure at the time was our manager, and Ricky Spurger, and... I think we must have been around 18-year-old because I think we was just old enough to work drinking. Um, and he gave us a free night. I think we was playing. Um, it was a Turkish team. Not the day after that, the day after that. So we kind of had a free day the day after. So we said, we'll just all have a sneak out, um, see what the nightlife's about, have a couple of hours, and, you know, get off to bed. Anyway, that couple of hours turned to like 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, and then there was me and Adam Eckersley walking back to the room it's absolutely steaming, um, thinking that we got away with it. And as we turned around the corner, Brian McClure and uh Ricky stood there saying, What time do you call this boys? And we both had two bottles of lager behind our back. And um lo <laughs> well and behold the the uh they said what's that behind your back? I said nothing. Ended up dropping one and falling over in front of them. So the morning after I thought I was in for a right bollocking um thought what's going to happen didn't sleep all night properly. Anyway the day after that, again, I can't remember what team it was, but it was a, it was a Turkish team. He was called in the team sheet out. He left my name right till the end, and he put me in the start in 11. And I thought, well, this is a bit strange. You know, I thought I would have been dropped. He said, back in his day, the biggest pitch had used to always be the captain. So he named me the biggest pitch and maybe the captain for the game after. So that was one. And then um, on the initiation, when we were 16, we had to go into the first team changing room and play what's called fun and games. um and they asked you your name, where you're from, all the simple questions. And then one of the questions that I got was, who do you think's the, you know, the, the fittest woman in the earth, the, the nicest looking woman? So the first person that popped into my head, I just said Jordan at the time, Katie Price, because that's the first one. They didn't think that Dwight York was sat right across the road from there. So let's just say there was a massage bed there with a hole in the top of the massage bed, and I had to pretend it was Jordan in front of Dwight York. So you can imagine... What was going on there?
0: It sounds quite awkward.
1: It was very awkward, mate.
0: <laughs> you mentioned Brian McLear there. I didn't interview Brian before. I hope he doesn't read this or listen to this, but I actually was afraid of him. Actually, he was a bit intimidated.
1: It, it was like when he first came to the club. Uh, let's say we were older then. We'd, we'd all maybe had a couple of years professional contracts behind us. Um, and he'd come. And I think the intimidating part was he was actually playing underneath a legend. You know what I mean? A Man United legend the come. And he was now your coach, and it was like wow, and you know how do we impress this guy? kind of thing? And yeah, it, it, it was it was a nice guy. It was. it would tell you if he was playing crap. Believe me, you, you knew if he was having a bad game. You knew he was having a bad game. You wouldn't. It wouldn't be around the bush. Um, but no, genuinely, genuinely nice guy. Um, not. Really, I've not really got a bad word to say about any of the any of the coaches growing up. There was there was all great lads. You know what I mean? Like I said, when Brian McLeod's been there and done it, so. He knew at the time what we were all trying to achieve and probably what we'd all gone through to get to the level we was at. So nothing but praise from him, to be honest.
0: I want to ask you about the modern game, the modern fan, the kind of idea of social media. How do you think social media impacts... How can I word it? Do you think modern fans take criticism too far on social media?
1: Yeah, massively. I think social media... I think the modern game, I, I don't I don't like I don't wanting for better words, don't really like the modern game as it is, if I'm being honest, compared to, to when I used to play or before I used to play. When when we used to play, it was it was a game. with the key word there's game. I feel like, and I've said this load of times on the podcast that I do on a Friday, um, I feel like football now has become a business mm-hmm. and not a game. Um, you know going back to when we were kids we liked nothing better than to get a football and get a couple of your mates up against the wall and have a kickabout because that's all we had to do um, nowadays there's that many distractions um, especially with the, football, the modern football lads with social media and you know the, the fans seem to basically take joy in tagging tagging a footballer in their states and absolutely slating them and some of the things you see you know it's it, how on earth, at the end of the day, we're all Man United fans. So, we all want the same goal. We all want the team to do well. We all want to get back to where we used to be. How on earth do they think by oh, slating Omar, slating the family or whatever is going to give that guy the confidence? If he's, especially, like, you like some Marcus Rashford, for example. A prime example. Marcus Rashford, we all know, it can, is an excellent, excellent player. He carried us for a number of years. Um, he's going through a bad patch. Do you know what I mean? He, he, he's going through bad form, and I think what they've got to realise is, 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 form, you know, class is permanent. Form can come in and out and dip, but class is permanent, and he's a class lad. But all the negativity is getting via social media and all that lot. Um, it's not going to do him any good, and you know, it depended on on his character. It could, it could impact him in different ways, and say if it did. We'd all be regretting doing what we have done. I mean, don't get me wrong with my Twitter account. If United's had a bad game or someone's had a bad game, I'd say, oh, such a body didn't play well today or whatever. But don't actually tag them in it, you know, and want them to see what you're saying about them because you want to encourage them. You know what I mean? mean Maguire, again, puts on an England shirt. It's fantastic. He's had a bad season for us, but he's not a bad player. You can't say he's a bad player. He's just not, he's just not playing well at the minute. So, yeah, I, I would hate to be a footballer now. Um, in this modern day with all the the, the social media and the criticism, you know, you you know yourself if you're playing bad, you know, you're your own worst critic at the end of the day. You don't need 6 million people at the end of the phone telling you. And to be honest, if it was me and I was a footballer, I wouldn't be on no social media platform whatsoever. I'd come straight off it.
0: Paul McShane told me before, if he made a mistake, obviously, if you make a mistake, you know yourself, you made a mistake. You don't need someone on Twitter to tell you he said he wouldn't even log in he wouldn't even look at his DMs, he said, because it would just be abuse, which I think is shocking. You mentioned Harry Maguire there. I think people forget these footballers are just people. They think because they're rich, they're there to have a crack at them. I think some yep. of the stick he gets is is shocking, to be honest. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I like I say, m- most, most footballers, especially when I were growing up, and I'm sure it's still the same now, we're just normal, everyday Kids, the amount of people say, oh, you played with Wayne Rooney or, you know, you, you, you was on a field with Beckham or this, that and the other. And I always say the same that Well, just like me and you, we've grown up with nothing. We've grown up on council estates. All we had in life was football. They're just normal people who are good at a sport. Do you know what I mean? And that's what they don't, they probably don't want, or well, they never used to, I don't know now, but they never used to want all the, the fame and what come with the fame. They just love playing football. Um, I suppose... The, the difference now is when, when you look at the modern day footballer <clears throat> is they get, they do have a lot of distractions with their own brands and doing things external on top of being a footballer, um, <clears throat> which can distract them in my opinion from, from reaching the, the potential what they could reach. So you like to suggest Lingard absolutely great footballer. He seems like a great lad. I mean, I don't know him personally, but, um, but he, he always seems... I can I can, only, I can only take it back to when we used to play. If you had to improve something, and this went straight from the under-16s through the first team, if you'd had a bad game or your crossing weren't up to scratch or whatever, there was nothing stopping me from grabbing Gary Neville, for example, if I was in the reserves and saying, Gaz, do any chance you can go and stand there at right-back and I'll stand there at left-back and I'll practice curling the ball and bring the, the full-back to you or vice versa because you knew that you need to improve that on your game to become a better footballer. So I used to find a lot of the time, especially Ben Collett and people like that, after training, they used to train, 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 train to become the best footballer they could be. Now, and I, let's say I've not been back at United for a long time, so this is what what I'm envisioning, is as soon as they get off that football pitch, they've got other commitments. So the focus isn't on becoming a better footballer. The, for me, the focus is train, play me match, and then the other thing over there now takes you know takes pride in what, I, what I'm feeling, and I think, that's the, I think that's a massive difference in today's game that the, the distractions in the game is, is, is completely completely outweighs it when we was so.
0: a. Um, one fan asks, if you could do one thing differently in your career, what would it be?
1: Um, I've not been regrets if I'm being totally honest. Um, you know I, I i I am happy that I did probably try while I was at united to to be the best I could be um the only the only other thing I would say is I'll go back to what I call Ben Collie, and for any youngster now going to United or going to any professional football um club or not even football club any any club he would have been a prime example of how to conduct yourself and how to try and make it. Uh, and be the best version of yourself because he was always, always the guy who pushed himself 110%, was the fittest on the team, um, didn't really go socialising or drinking, uh, you know, as we got older, always stayed behind after after training, um, whether that be just practising crossing or shooting or in the gym with Mike Clegg on the gym or doing the actual stuff. He was 110% dedicated um, to the cause. Now, that's not saying that we weren't, but he was just a robot with it. Um, and the story behind Ben was he got injured in the FA Youth Cup. Was it the final? I think it was the final against Middlesbrough. Um, I played in it. It was televised. Um, and he broke his leg. Now, he probably had a similar amount of time off with the football than I did. Um but they took it to court and took it to a tribunal. Um, and because of the work and the dedication and everything that Ben had put in, Ben had been there from nine-year-old at is that is exact same time as I'd been. <clears throat> Obviously, that did uh, not go unnoticed. And when it went to a tribunal, um, Sir Alex Ferguson went to it and, and, and fought his corner. Um, so did Gary Neville and a few of the other first-team lads. And in the end of it, he'd come out with four-point-something million. And that was down to just pure... Hard work and dedication. So, although I've not really any regrets as such, I, I would wish that maybe another couple of hours after training, or you know, that might, might might have suited me a little bit better than what I did.
0: What motivates you in life today?
1: Well, family, my kids. Um, I'm a I'm a gas engineer at the moment. I've got my own own little business uh, as a gas engineer, and I just think. Day to day life, just just trying to trying to be the best you can be, um, you know. And I, I I'm I'm more than sure I learned that growing up at United. Um, no matter what you do, don't be happy with okay. Don't be happy with oh that's good. Try and be better. Um, and I you know I, I live for my family now. Um, my little boy's a gymnast. Um, he does it. For, he's done it for Great Britain. He's done it. He's in the England squad. My little girl does horse riding. Um, Two sports I've never had a clue about in my life. <laughs> I tried to get the boy into football at a young age. Uh, didn't enjoy it, but I love going and watching his gymnastics now. He actually calls me a gym dad. He says you're a proper gym dad. Mm. Um, I suppose because obviously I've had that sporting upbringing. Um, no matter what, it could have been any sport. It could have been it could have been a ballet dancer, and I suppose still would have been there on the sidelines cheering him on. So yeah, that that motivates me. Um, and just 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 life in general. Just trying to be the best person and. The, the, best, the best dad and the best husband that can be really.
0: I love that try me better I think that's it I think everyone can can probably try and do that better literally
1: sure 100%
0: uh, you mentioned your kids how would how's becoming a father uh, changed your perception of life
1: massively <laughs> massively mate uh, you start realising now that it's not just about you and your own career and your own path Everything you do, you do for your kids at the end of the day. Um, like I say, with the gymnastics and the horse riding, believe me, it's not like when I was growing up with football, when it was five pounder subs a week, and uh, you used to get your track suits and your jumpers and all that lot with it. It's it's bloody expensive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, ridiculously expensive, both sports. But, as I say, you, do, you, you just want your kids to be happy, don't you? Um, and you do what you do. What you, do. Um, you work as hard as you work, just so... They can have the stuff in life that probably you didn't have as a kid. You know what I mean. And that—that's that, the way it changed. That's the way it's changed me anyway. You know, everything we do, we do, we do for our family. That's including the wife too. She's she's exactly the same. Um I wouldn't have it any other way, mate. To be honest. And the good thing is about football is, like I say, it's, it's gutting that you didn't make it or anything like that. But I met my wife after football, and there's nothing saying that if I would have carried on at United that I wouldn't instead of buying my house in Wigan I went to bought a house like the lads were doing up in Manchester and you know not met with my wife and not had the kids and so you've got to look at it on that side too
0: Brilliant uh, The big question I ask everyone this I'm interested in the idea of high performance psychology I think high performance is relevant to everyone <laughs> I don't think it's just for sports people I think it's relevant to everyone students business people business owners like yourself what do you think are some of the key traits or ingredients needed to achieve high performance in your occupation or in life?
1: Um, I've seen this question, to be honest. I've asked, I know you asked this question, so I got a few little things down <laughs> what, what what I can think of. Um, first of all, focus. Make sure you're focused. Don't get distracted in what you're trying to achieve. Um, don't let any outside distractions in. Um, determination. Be determined to, again, same as focus, really. Be determined to get to your goal no matter what. That leads into desire. Um, And I think a lot of it is be self-confident, not not in a smug way or an arrogant way. So I think in life in general, not just as a footballer, but in in anything you do, you've got to have that self-confidence to to know that if you're going to do something, you can do it well and you can do it as good as the next person, if not better. And I think I've already mentioned it, you've got to enjoy doing what you do. Um, There's no point doing something, what you're trying to achieve in life if you don't enjoy it. And the last one, I've already mentioned it, is surround yourself with the right people. Uh, if you've got negative influences in your life, whether that be friends, teammates, work colleagues, or whatever, who, who distract you from getting to your goal, you, you're never going to achieve it. So you've got to try your very best to to surround yourself with with people who will encourage you and support you to be the, the best person you can be, basically. That, that's my look on it, anyway.
0: Brilliant. And uh, the final question, if you had 30 minutes to have a conversation with someone, this can be a person who's dead or alive from history, a musician, a sports person, an author. If you had thirty minutes to have a conversation with someone, who would it be and why?
1: George Best, hundred percent George Best. I've 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 watched videos of George Best from being a kid. Um, I've watched documentaries on George Best. Um, he's he was such a character. Unfortunately, I never got to meet him. Uh, but just I couldn't just imagine some of the stories he would have. Uh, about obviously playing for a club that I, I, I spent 11 years at uh, and the things you probably have in common and I just think it'd be it'd be great to to get his perspective on what it would like to be one of the world's best footballers playing for Man United and being the kind of playboy he was too uh, on and off the field, you know what I mean it would, it would, just be, it would be magical to be able to, to get his insight on that
0: Lee, thank you so much, you've been a great sport, thoroughly enjoyed that
1: great to meet you Cheers mate I really appreciate it mate cheers. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our latest episode. If you listen on an Apple device please consider leaving a review and a 5-star rating.